0: Welcome back to the Homestead MMA podcast. Sean Van Buren here for episode 31. Shout out to all the homies checking this out right now. I appreciate all of you. Today, we're talking about the upcoming final UFC fight night of the year, Cannoneer versus Strickland. Before we dive into that, it's time for the rapid recap of UFC 282, Bukovic versus Ankalaev. Let's go. Ten straight finishes built up to the highly anticipated co-main and main event fights, with both fights leaving something to be desired with the results. Let's dive into it, starting with Cameron Seyman versus Steven Kozlo. Newcomers making their UFC debuts, always exciting. Kozlo got an early takedown and started flowing on the ground into different positions. While flowing on the ground, Seyman completed a sweep and got on top. Kozlo immediately went for a triangle choke from the bottom. It appeared that Kozlo was more skilled in these jiu-jitsu exchanges, and round one was very exciting with multiple submission attempts from each fighter. Great round one to Steven Kozlo, in my opinion. Kozlo got another takedown in round two early and went for a guillotine choke. Salmon got out of it, but the grappling war raged on. Salmon ended up in top position, landed some ground and pound that turned over Kozlo, and then Salmon took his back to work for the rear naked choke. They kept flowing, kept rolling on the ground. Unfortunately for Seyman, He threw a knee that landed to the head of Kozlo. While Kozlo's knees were on the ground, which is an illegal strike, the ref rightfully took a point from Seyman, and the fight continued on. Kozlo went for another takedown, but Seyman stuffed it. With the point deduction, I actually thought Seyman won that round, but with the deduction, it was a 9-9 round in my opinion. Kazo tried for another takedown and rolled into submission attempts, but these fighters just kept their flow on the ground, with each guy going back and forth in favorable positions. If you like to watch grappling, this is definitely a fight I would go back and check. Seyman reversed position yet again. He's very good with reversals. He did it multiple times, and he started to ground and pound from back control and then into top position. Once back on the feet, Sameen started to tee off and finished this fight with third round standing TKO. Would have been interesting to see those scorecards though. They are very close rounds and extremely grappling heavy fight where it was very back and forth. So it would have been kind of interesting to see the scorecards but Saman took those out of the equation. TJ Brown versus Eric Silva followed that and the first right hand of TJ Brown knocked down Eric Silva and they started grappling right away. TJ then finished the grappling against the cage by taking down Silva. Silva worked his way back up to his feet and then got a takedown himself. Very close, grappling-heavy round yet again, maybe slight edge to TJ Brown for having the biggest moment in the fight with that very first punch. Round 2 started off with Eric Silva dominating the the grappling, but ended with TJ Brown in control. Silva starting to fatigue. Round 2 to TJ Brown, again, we had these really tight, grappling-heavy rounds to start this card, where it would have been interesting to see the judges' scorecards, to see how they were judging grappling control, versus damage, things of that nature. It's just always nice to see uh, into the mind of the judges, if you will. The start of each round found both fighters landing some big punches for about 10 seconds, and then they'd go right back to the mats to grapple. T.J. Brown clearly had the ground game advantage, and Eric Silva was just tired in round three. T.J. Brown found the third round arm triangle submission. Billy Quarantillo versus Alexander Hernandez, Billy Q. This is an exciting striking fight early in round one. Both fighters were very fast, very accurate with their punches. Hernandez got a takedown about two minutes into the first round before they got back up to the feet within about a minute later. With a minute and a half left in that round, Hernandez got another takedown straight into an arm triangle submission attempt. Hernandez gave up on that and landed a massive ground and pound strike that blighted up Billy Q to end the round. Round one to Alexander Hernandez. Hernandez made it pretty clear in round two that he wanted to use his size to continue to wrestle his way to victory, and Billy Q was fighting hard to keep this fight standing. Billy Q had the better strikes in round two, and he appeared to be the better stand-up fighter. Billy then got an easy takedown, worked his way to the back for the ground and pound, Billy Q had all the momentum on his side, and Hernandez was just trying to survive. Unfortunately for him, he couldn't do so as the ref stepped in to give Billy Quarantillo the standing TKO victory. Chris Curtis versus Joaquin Buckley. Excellent movement from both fighters to start this one off. Each guy moving very well both laterally and front and back. Both fighters having trouble landing their shots against the stout defense of their competitor. They stayed aggressive though, so it felt like a big moment could occur at any moment. At around the 3 minute mark, Chris Curtis landed a flush overhand left to the head of Buckley, and Buckley blitzed forward to try to land some strikes of his own to even out that shot. Chris Curtis had very sharp defense and movement. Buckley had more striking volume with less impact. Another very tough round to judge, and I thought the round went to Chris Curtis before I looked up the striking stats, and realized that Buckley had more volume. But truthfully, with the damage, I still gave it to Chris Curtis for round 1. Very close round. Buckley came out still very aggressive in round 2, with his high volume striking attack. Chris Curtis was a bit more patient, and he found the finishing shot with a right hook that dropped Joaquin Buckley, and then he jumped on top for the ground-and-pound finish. Edmund Shabazian versus Dolce Lungyambula. The return of Shabazian. These fighters spent some time in the first round working out their timing and their distance with their striking. Shabazian did well to work the body of Dolce in the first round. Dolce just has massive muscles and power. So Edmund was using his long-range attacks often in round one. Dolce went for a takedown in round one, but Edmund was able to keep it standing. I gave round one to Edmund Shabazian due to the higher striking volume. Dolce throws with a ton of power every time. Without necessarily setting up the strike, he just puts all his weight behind every punch. While Shabazian was a little more strategic and selective with his attacks, his counter-punching, it was all much more straight shots, point A to point B, and as fast as he could get them. Edmund landed a flying knee to the head of Dolce late in round two, and Edmund poured on the strikes with a continuous onslaught. He just kept throwing strikes and Dolce was just trying to survive to the bell, but he couldn't before the ref stopped this fight as well. Edmund Shabazian by second round TKO. Jorzenio Rosenstreik versus Chris Dawkus. The fight intensity hit 100 right from the starting bell. Rosenstreik landed a counter left hook with his second strike in that fight and it stumbled Chris Dawkus back into the ground. Rosenstreik jumped on top of Chris Dawkus and started to unload punches Dawkins survived the initial onslaught, but he was just—he was just trying to survive even further. I mean, he survived the initial attack, but Jorginho never let up. He chased after Dawkins once he got to the feet, and Rosenstreik dropped Chris Dawkins again with a Superman-style punch, and that was it. Less than thirty seconds into this fight, Jorginho Rosenstreak got his first round knockout win. Next up was Raúl Rosas Jr. versus Jay Perrin. Rosas Jr. showed why he was the favorite right away. He got a slam takedown within a minute of this fight and followed it up with another quick takedown, all without releasing his grip. Once he grabbed a hold of his opponent, he did not let go. He was extremely tough to get rid of. Rival Rosas Jr. worked his way to the back, started going for rear naked choke, with over three minutes left to work in the round. Perrin did a good job fighting the hands of Rosas Jr., but Rosas Jr. kept the pressure at 100 once he got that back of Jay Perrin. Raul Rosas Jr. kept going for the re choke. He got it under the chin of Perrin and won this fight in the first round with over two minutes left by submission. Bryce Mitchell versus Ilya Tupuria. Exciting start to the pay-per-view, as we knew it would be. This was a highly anticipated fight. Both fighters mix in wrestling and takedown attempts. They both did so to start this fight, and they were pr- pretty much able to keep each other standing at the beginning, and they exchanged sharp punches and kicks. Mitchell was shooting for takedowns from just way too far out not covering them up in round one, not setting them up. So Tapuria saw them coming and defended very well. Mitchell needed to use his strikes to get to his takedowns, close that distance, get Ilya Tapuria's guard up high so he could then drop for the takedown. And he was able to do so with one minute left in round one. That really made things interesting because Mitchell was getting picked apart on the feet. The takedown and control time made the first round extremely close to score, but I did give it to Ilya Tapuria. Bryce Mitchell looked tired in round two. He started to fight a little bit sloppy. Ilya Tapuria dropped Mitchell with a strong right hook and went to the ground after him. It probably would have been wiser to stay on the feet where he appeared to have the advantage, but Ilya Tapuria, I think he wanted to prove a point that he could go to the ground with Bryce Mitchell. Then in round two, Ilya Tapuria got the arm triangle submission win. Very, very impressive win for him on his resume. Darren Till versus du Duplacis. Dreykus challenged Till very early in this one after his long layoff from the Octagon with a quick takedown. I told you in last week's episode of the podcast, I thought that if Dreykus Duplacis, who doesn't wrestle a ton, decided to do so in this fight, there was a chance this fight was not going to be very close. It was a weakness of Darren Till that Till had been working on, it's just still not there yet. Dreykus Duplacis had Darren Till trapped up against the cage, was just continually landing strikes against Darren Till, really laid into him. And Till was very patient, trying to find the right moment to get back up, but ultimately he was just standing there, taking damage without really successfully defending himself. Drakus used a ton of energy in the first half of round one with his continuous onslaught of punches and kicks and knees. and Then he got Till with another power slam takedown, took the back of Till, and went to work with ground and pound. Drakus Duplices then went for the rear naked choke and almost got the finish. They got back up to their feet, and Darren Till had some nice moments in the striking. I think all that did was change my mind from being this a super rare 10-7 round one to a 10-8. The right eye of Darren Till was very swollen entering round two, but Dreykus looked visibly fatigued from his massive striking output in the first round. Even with all of the damage that Till took in round one, he looked fast, sharp with his striking in round two. Drykus Duplacis got a desperation takedown in the middle of the round before they came back up to the feet. Darren Till did a fantastic job on the feet with his striking, which we've seen before from him, but Dreykus got another takedown in round two with one minute left. It's just the wrestling defense of Till is really lacking in today's MMA game. Till, it's just a massive hole in his game. He needs to keep working on it. Dreykus almost got the footlock submission to end the round, but Till survived to the bell. Round two to Till, I gave it because of the striking. Honestly, it was pretty close though. Dragus made it closer with his wrestling. The commentators were debating 10 eights versus 10 nines for Dragus in round one. I thought it was a pretty clear 10 eight for Dragus to places. Either way, the winner of round three would be very important to the outcome. Dragus looked a little less fatigued in round three, so it was an interesting round that would decide this fight. Both fighters were a little more calculated, but Dragus to places got the takedown in round three landed some ground and pound, and turned till over, got through a naked choke submission win. Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Alex Morono. You could tell that Morono took this fight on short notice just visually. He was still striking sharp, as we've come to expect, but Ponzinibbio was patient and controlled his energy levels well in round one. Santiago landed some good calf kicks and body jabs in round one to work on the tank of Morono. Ponzinibbio went for a spinning backfist, missed, and Morono actually caught him with a hook at the end of his spinning backfist movement that dropped Santiago. Really interesting, intelligent strike for Alex Morono. Well-timed punch. Because of that strike, high damage strike, I gave the round to Alex Morono. Round two saw Morono land a powerful right jab, left cross, that dropped Santiago momentarily. Nibio landed his best punch of the fight so far with an overhand right hand as well. Ultimately not a crazy round, Ponzinibbio landed more strikes in round 2, but Moreno had the higher damage strikes. Very tough round to score, but I actually gave that one to Ponzinibbio. Round 2, I think, absolutely could have gone either way, so the winner of round 3 had a good chance of winning this fight. Moreno landed a nice counter-strike in round 3 that messed up the balance of Ponzinibbio. He was wobbly on his feet, with that strike landing just behind his ear, threw off his equilibrium, but he was able to gather himself. But it was a bad visual and what was a very close fight. Santiago Ponzibio was able to come back and find his punch through a sneaky combo. Ponznibio landed a jab, faked a takedown, and landed an overhand right to drop Alex Moreno and get the third round knockout victory. That took us to our co-main event with Patty Pumblet versus Jared Gordon. Patty the baddie was back in the octagon and the crowd loved it. Patty forced the action early in this fight while Gordon was working on figuring out the distance disadvantage that he was facing. Jared Gordon was very patient early. He picked his shots carefully. His hooks were hitting at a very accurate clip in round one. Gordon seemed to lose his footing a few times in round one. It seemed like the cage was a little bit slick. Very close round. Good calf kicks for Paddy. Powerful punches for Paddy. I think the round was decided when Paddy went for a takedown in round one and ended up in bottom position. Jared Gordon was able to finish the round on top and possibly win a very close round one. Round one was really close. Round 2 saw more success for Paddy with his leg kicks. The way Paddy was holding his right hand, I actually thought he may have heard it in round 1. I noticed it seemed a little loose halfway through that round. Gordon clinched up Paddy against the cage, and Paddy almost got a very unique choke from the side that Gordon escaped from. Very crafty attempt from Paddy the Batty, and he does have a lot of submission skills to look out for. Gordon landed some nice strikes during the break against the cage, and Gordon had a lot of octagon control time against the cage in round 2. This fight was phenomenal and very close. I did give round two also to Jared Gordon. (sighs) This was a tough fight to judge. The outcome, a lot of people debated as well. So at this point, I have two rounds to Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon got a quick takedown to start round three, but Patty was up quickly and they were grappling against the cage. That's where the majority of this fight took place up against the cage with Jared Gordon keeping Patty pinned. With no significant events in the third round, I think Jared Gordon won that round as well with his octagon control. To me, you have to judge what you're seeing. There was no significant anything in round three. The most significant thing I think you could point to was that Jared Gordon did control Patty against the cage. And after the fight, we learned that Paddy kind of let that happen. So I think round one was very close. I think that one could have gone either way. Round two, I thought Jared Gordon won fairly clearly. And round three, with nothing really to judge, I thought Jared Gordon won. I actually gave all three to Jared Gordon. The judges did not agree. They gave the win to Paddy the Batty Pimblett. I thought that they had that one all wrong. I love Paddy the Batty. I think he will be great, but he lost that fight. I think we need to be honest. He lost that fight. I'm a big fan of Paddy. I don't think he's done. I think he has the superstar power. Obviously, he got the win, so this doesn't really do anything to him in hindsight, but I don't know. Weird fight. I felt like he lost. Judges, I think, kind of gifted him that win. He does need to kick his skills up a notch because we found out kind of where his ceiling is at right now in this Jared Gordon fight. But I do think he can continue to improve. That takes us to our main event light heavyweight championship of Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankalaev. These light heavyweights were landing some heavy strikes early. Jan put some low calf kicks in the bank on Ankalaev to try to pay dividends in the later rounds of this fight if we got there. Ankelaev was not doing much in round 1 to defend or check the low calf kicks from Jan. Very close striking stats in round 1, but they slightly favored Ankelaev, and I followed with that. I thought maybe he took round 1 really close, though. Ankelaev was slightly sharper with the distance strikes, with landing front kicks and just barely slipping a lot of punches. Ankelaev was a little more active from a volume striking perspective in round 2 as well, but the power advantage still seemed to favor Jan. Jan landed a hard low leg kick to Ankolaev midway through round two. That clearly stumbled him and buckled that leg. Jan landed another hard low leg kick that almost dropped Ankolaev, and Ankolaev tried to get a takedown and buy some time with his wrestling. Here's the thing. This was the most fascinating part of the fight. Jan's leg kicks are incredibly powerful and damaging. The fact he's knocking people down by kicking them in the leg just speaks to how much power he can carry. So because of that, I had it 19-19 tied up entering the third. And Jan immediately landed another powerful low leg kick. You had a feeling that this fight may not go past this round with the leg damage Ankalaev was taking. Ankaliev started sitting down in his punches. He was trying to find himself a knockout punch on the feet. Jan was trying to finish the fight by leg kick, and Ankalaev was trying to punch Jan's head out of the arena. Ankaliev switched stances to try to avoid the left leg damage. But Jan didn't care. He then clearly injured the right leg of Ankaliev as well with those same powerful low leg kicks. Regardless of what leg Ankaliev put forward, Jan decided he was going to kick it as hard as he could. Ankalaev has the fighting spirit though, and he got a late round takedown. I didn't think he did enough with it to steal the round, so I had Jan up 29-28 on my card. Round 4 began with Ankoliyev really trying to wrestle... He engaged in the clinch with Yon against the cage early. And maybe we were starting to see what I told you about last week. I thought Ankelaev would be the fresher fighter in rounds four and five. And he seemed to dictate the wrestling against the cage. He got a takedown two minutes into that round. After taking him down, Ankalaev landed some ground and pound. And Ankalaev was able to control Yon for the remainder of that round. For me, all tied up entering round five. And the path to victory for Ankalaev became incredibly clear. So I told you last week in our episode that I thought... Ankleyev would win one of the first three rounds, and then with his cardio ability, he would be able to win rounds four and five. In my opinion, that is what we saw. Round five began, and Ankleyev just ran into Jan, knocked him over to get a takedown in top position. Based on what we saw in the previous round, this fight was over. And it actually played out exactly like I told you it would last week, just like I said. Ankleyev won rounds four and five with his cardio. I think he won one of the first three rounds as well. Once Ankleyev had top control, he controlled one hand of Jan and started to release some ground and pound with his free left hand. Ankleyev landed punches and elbows and just had Jan trapped on the ground. Jan had no answer for how to get out of this poor position, and this fight went the full 25 minutes. The new light heavyweight champion is no one. These judges were terrible. (laughs) Absolutely awful. Split draw was the judges' decision. I feel like that was absolutely wrong. I think you could have given Ankhalayev a 10-8 in the last round. I gave him a 10-9. But regardless, I gave Ankalayev three rounds and Jan two. The fact that I think you could have given Ankalaev a 10 8 in one of those rounds that he won speaks even further to the fact that I thought he won. Crazy stuff. Terrible judges. They should be interrogated, fired. I don't know. I'll say it. <laughs> Just crazy, honestly. Um, I guess my biggest takeaway was, can we just give the belt back to Jiri Petrozka and pretend like none of this ever happened? Uh, Weird pay-per-view. It was still a great card. I want to make that very clear. Every fight ended as a finish until the co-main and main event where, thank God, we didn't need the judges much on Saturday because they kind of seemed all over the place. So weird end to the night, which I know no one wanted to see but overall it was a good card for everybody and we'll have a new light heavyweight matchup coming up in 2023 that wraps up our rapid recap let's take a look at our bets All right, taking a look at our bets. We started with Cameron Saimon versus Steven Coslow. This was a no bet for the podcast. We were leading Steven Koslow, which would have been a loss, so I'm glad we held off on that one. Vinicius Salvador versus Daniel Da Silva. Uh, Vinicius Salvador by finish was never available, so that was just voided. TJ Brown versus Eric Silva. We had Eric Silva, Moneyline minus 105. That bet was a loss. Billy Quarantillo versus Alexander Hernandez. We had Billy Q, Moneyline minus 165 for the win. For the UFC prelims, we had Chris Curtis versus Joaquin Buckley. We had Buckley Moneyline minus 155 for the loss. Edmund Shabazian versus Dolce Lungyambula. We had Edmund Shabazian by finish for minus 110 win. Raul Rosas Jr. versus Jay Perrin was a no bet for us. I was leaning Raul Rosas Jr. I thought he would get it done, but he was such a large favorite. I didn't know if he would get it done by finish or not, so we stayed away. But Raul Rosas Jr. did win, which is what we thought. Drazina Rosenstreak versus Chris Dawkins. We had under one and a half rounds at minus 155 for the win. For the UFC main card, Bryce Mitchell versus Ilya Tapurdia. We had Ilya Tapurdia, money line minus 137 for the win. Darren Till versus Du Duplessis. We had Drakis Duplessis, money line 195 for the win. Alex Morono versus Santiago Ponzanibio. Fight to go the distance. We were pretty close. We got to the third round, but that was a loss at minus 135. Our co-main event, Paddy Pimblett vs. Jared Gordon, over 1.5 rounds, minus 167 was the win. And Yang Blakovic vs. Magomed Ankalaev over 2.5 rounds at minus 148 was also a win. All in a good Saturday for us. We were up 1.69 units. We went 8-4 with our bets. We did not place any going back for more 2-unit bets on this past Saturday. For the Homestyle Perfect Plate Parlay, we had Jarzinho Rosenstroik vs. Chris Dawkis fight to not go the distance. Paddy Pimblett versus Jared Gordon over one and a half rounds, and Jan Bakovich versus Magomed Ankalaev over two and a half rounds at plus two fourteen for the win. So very nice parlay win for us as a podcast. That wraps up our bets. Let's take a look at verdict and give out some awards. Another good night on Verdict for us with a silver medal earned for the podcast. We finished in the top 40% of predictions. This is the podcast's seventh silver medal and back-to-back silver medals. So we're back on the right train here on Verdict. We've had a lot of success lately. Truly love the app. I recommend you all go check it out. Like I said, we picked every correct fighter who won, except I guess the championship. I had Magomed Ankalaya by decision, which... Should have hit, probably would have put us into a gold medal, but again, the very strange judging left that one as a loss for us. Luckily, I had only 100 experience points on there. It was very low confidence, but that still would have been a nice hit for us. For the Slam MMA Podcast Awards, we're giving out three because this was a pay-per-view. The Smooth Buttery Biscuits, Early Prelims Performance of the Night. For me, this was the toughest award to give out from the three today. I am going with Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo, for his second round knockout win. Our mac and cheese UFC prelims performance of the night, we're going to Raul Rosas Jr., absolute domination on his way to his first round submission win at only 18 years old and still in high school. And our chicken and dumplings UFC main card performance of the night, we're going with Ilya Tapuria for his second round submission win over another talented submission fighter in Bryce Mitchell. That wraps up our entire recap of this past Saturday. Let's look forward to our upcoming UFC Fight Night. The UFC prelims this Saturday start at 5 o'clock Eastern Time with Sergey Morozov versus Journey Newsom. Sergei is coming off of a win and is 2-2 two two in the UFC, each loss coming by submission. Newsom comes in with a UFC record of 1-2-1. For a guy with a very average submission game for a UFC fighter, Sergey Morozov goes for a ton of takedowns. It's gotten him in trouble in the past, but Newsom is not an aggressive submission fighter with only three submission wins. I think Sergei Morozov can wrestle and ground and pound his way to a win here, but he does get caught in the occasional submission. I'm staying away from this one from a betting perspective, but Sergei should win. David Dvorak versus Manel Kape I think that we're in for a treat with this fight. David has finished 16 of his 20 pro wins, evenly split knockouts and submissions, and Manel has finished 16 of his 17 pro wins with 11 of those by knockout. Dvorak lost his last fight, but is 3-1 in the UFC. Kape lost his first two UFC fights before getting back-to-back first-round knockout wins. This fight is so interesting because I think David Dvorak is the more skilled fighter on the ground, although I think he will try to keep it standing, and Kape is maybe the more skilled striker on the feet, but he may go for the occasional takedown. (laughs) Very interesting. What I hope happens is that the judges get to use the bathroom during this fight because they will not be needed, I think this fight has the potential to be the best on the prelims with someone getting finished. I think Manel Kape could get a knockout win, or Dvorak could get a submission win. I'm currently leaning David Dvorak since he has been more active, because Kape hasn't fought in a year in the octagon. But I like, what I like most is for this fight to end by finish. Next is Brian Battle versus Renat Fakretdinov. Battle is an inch taller with 3 inches longer in reach. Battle has stormed onto the UFC scene with his ultimate fighter victory and subsequent two UFC wins. He faces a very tough task of fighting the 19-1 Renat, who won his UFC debut in his last fight. In that fight, Renat completed 5 of his 10 takedowns for 13 minutes of control time to cruise to a decision victory. Renat is a wrestling machine. Brian Battle will need to keep this fight standing if he wants to be victorious. I think Brian will be the better striker. But he can also handle himself decently well on the ground with his jiu jitsu game. This is an exciting fight, big step up in competition for Brian Battle, but it could be another statement win to add to his resume. I like the well rounded game of Brian Battle in this one, but this will be a very tough fight. Rafael Garcia versus Mahashate. Mahashate is 5 inches taller. He won his Dana White's Contender Series appearance by unanimous decision, and followed that up with a first round knockout win in his UFC debut. Rafa Garcia lost his last fight to end his two-fight win streak. Styles make fights. Mahashate is a striking and stand-up dominant fighter, and Rafa Garcia relies on his wrestling to get wins. He goes for double-digit takedowns each fight, and he grinds down his opponents as he chases submissions. The height difference is massive, and plays even more into this style of matchup with Mahashate as a striker. Rafa Garcia will have to use his striking To try to close the distance and follow up combos with level changes to attempt to get those takedowns. It'll be a tough ask for Rafa Garcia, particularly if Mahashate is sharp with his long range weapons. So I'm staying away from this one from a betting standpoint. I am leaning Rafa Garcia to get it done due to his experience. This is going to be a tough fight. Should be fun for the fans. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Saeed Yokub Kakramanov. Saeed comes into this one on a three fight win streak. He's 5 1 in the UFC and really an excellent striker. He has a very heavy kicking attack, high, low, mid. Uh, He can throw those kicks fast from a bunch of different angles. Another matchup to make fights situation. Saeed is an outstanding striker with an all-time great MMA grappler in his family. Saeed Yokoub is an extremely wrestling heavy MMA fighter. He's 2-0 in the UFC, having completed 12 for 23 takedowns, 13 minutes of control time, and 4 submission attempts in those appearances. In that first fight, though, he faced a fighter who really struggles with wrestling and kind of, he was manhandling that guy. So a lot of those stats are kind of boosted because of that fight. This will be the hardest matchup for Said Yokoob yet. And I just think that Saeed Nurmagomedov is starting to get rolling in the UFC. I think it will be a grueling fight that goes the distance, but look for Saeed to outpoint Said Yokoob to victory while stuffing just enough takedowns to keep this fight mostly standing. Julian Marquez versus Duran Wynn. This is going to be a very tough fight for Duran Wynn. Julian Marquez is 8 inches taller, and he has a 2 inch reach advantage. Julian has finished all of his 9 wins with 6 by knockout and 3 by submission. He lost his last fight in his three and is 3-2 in the UFC. Julian Marquez is a talented jiu-jitsu fighter, and Duran Wynn's strength is wrestling. Wynn has struggled lately though, losing his last fight and going 1-3 in his last 4 fights. When I look at this matchup, I just Julian Marquez has too many ways to win this fight. I think he'll dominate the striking on the feet with his height and reach advantage. And then he has plenty of submission attempts, submission capabilities on the ground if Wynn does work his way inside to get the fight to the ground via takedown. I don't know. Duran Wynn, he seems like a really nice guy. His build puts him at a big disadvantage in a lot of fights, though. He's a shorter guy. Big guy, but just being short for the weight class makes it tough when you want to wrestle because you have to cover a lot of ground. Julian Marquez gets it done here, in my opinion. Jake Matthews versus Matthew Semmelsberger. Another, I think, very fun fight. Matthews won his last fight after a tough loss that ended his three-fight win streak. Semmelsberger lost his last fight that ended his two-fight win streak. These fighters have similar styles. Jake Matthews looked phenomenal in his last fight. He outstruck and power-punched a knockout specialist. While I think that we were in for a barn burner here, I think Jake Matthews is just at a higher level of his game right now compared to Matthew Semelsberger, But this should be a nice fight. This is one you're gonna to want to circle and make sure that you don't miss. Our final prelim matchup finds Cheyenne Vlismas versus Corey McKenna. Corey McKenna finally fights someone her height. She's very small, but she still gives up a massive four and a half inch reach disadvantage. She won her last fight by submission and she's three and one in the UFC. Her only loss was by split decision. McKenna uses a very wrestling-heavy attack to take her opponents down, work towards control, ground and pound, submissions if they become available. She's a very patient and smart fighter on the mats. Cheyenne won her last two fights to avenge a loss in her UFC debut. She earned a spot on the roster from Dana White's Contender Series. She's looked very impressive in her last fight, unleashing a ton of punches and stopping all five of her opponents' takedowns. That will be key in this matchup. In Cheyenne's one UFC loss, she did though give up four out of five takedown attempts and almost 10 minutes of control time. So, what that tells me is she's fought a range of wrestlers. If she can keep it standing, she can probably strike her way to victory. If you can get her down, you can keep her down and get the win. So, it depends on which Cheyenne we're getting in this fight. If McKenna can get those takedowns, then this will be an easy night in the office for her. If Cheyenne can keep this fight standing, I think she'll strike her way to a decision win. I'm staying away from this one gambling because I think it is a very close fight, but I am leaning Corey McKenna to use that wrestling to victory. That wraps up our UFC prelims. Let's take a look at the UFC main card. The UFC main card starts at 7 o'clock Eastern Time with Cody Brundage versus Michael Olegzuchik. Brundage is on a two fight win streak, both by finish, and he has won three of his last four fights. Michael won his last fight by knockout and has also won three of his last four fights. This is an interesting stylistic matchup because Michael has a clear disadvantage on the ground with a 1 3 submission record, but he's 12 2 by knockout. He's a very good striker, while Brundage is a little bit more of a well rounded MMA fighter. This fight has a path to victory for both fighters, in my opinion. If Michael can keep this fight on the feet, then I think he can easily outstrike Cody Brundage to victory. If Brundage can complete a takedown around, just one around, then I think that he will easily win this fight and possibly submit Michael on the ground. I actually think that Brundage will hang around on the feet just enough to find those takedowns, so I'm taking the underdog Cody Brundage to get the upset, possibly by submission. Drew Dober versus Bobby Green Green's 2 inches taller with an inch in reach advantage, he's coming off of a first round knockout loss to the current lightweight champion, and he's only won 2 of his last 5 fights. He did take that fight on short notice, I want to add as well. Bobby Green is a super high volume striker, while Drew Dober has a bit more pop in his hands. Dober's on a 2 fight knockout win streak that ended a 2 fight losing streak that found him being outwrestled to defeat. Green will be a little better on the ground, but lately he's really fallen in love with his striking. If Green goes back to his wrestling, then I think he'll find more success in this fight. If Green tries to stand and strike with Drew Dober, then I think that this will be a much closer fight with Drew having the opportunity to end this fight by knockout. I think that this will be a great fight. I'm leaning Drew Dober to win, and I do think this fight goes over one and a half rounds. Next up is Alex Casares versus Julian Arosa. Arosa's three inches taller. Caceres lost his last fight to end a 5-fight win streak. Caceres is an interesting fighter, because he's a volume striker, but he likes to play the jiu-jitsu game on the ground, and that does get him in trouble sometimes with a 7-7 seven seven submission record. Juli Rosa has won 3 straight fights and he's fairly well-rounded in MMA. He has 11 knockout wins and 12 submission wins. He has been knocked out 6 times before, but I don't think he has to worry about knockout power from Alex Caceres. Caceres is more of a point-striking fighter, and I think Arosa will have the advantage on the ground. I think Julian Arosa gets the win here with decent striking on the feet, but really doing well on the grappling on the ground because Alex Caceres will allow that game to play out as well. Caceres likes to play for the submissions, but does get him in trouble from time to time. That takes us to Amir Albazi versus Alessandro Costa. This fight really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Amir is on a three-fight UFC win streak since joining the UFC in 2020. Two of those wins came by submission, and he's finished 13 of his 15 pro wins, nine total by submission. He takes on newcomer Alessandro Costa in his UFC debut. He won a split decision on Dana White's contender series to earn a spot on the roster. He's very skilled in jiu-jitsu with half of his pro wins by submission, but this is just an extremely tough UFC debut opponent. Demir Albazi's 15 15-1 as a pro, and I think he gets the job done here. There's a reason the odds are so wide in this fight. Alessandro has never been submitted as a pro, so look for Albazi to try to get the submission win, but maybe settling for a ground and pound TKO. That takes us to our co-main event, Armen Sarukyan versus Demir Ismagulov. Demir's 3 inches taller, and he has a 1 inch and a half advantage in reach. This is going to be a great fight that I think likely goes over 1.5 rounds, and potentially the full 15 minutes. Demir has won 19 pro fights in a row, including five in the UFC, with those all by decision. Armand lost his last fight to end a five-fight win streak, and he's five and two in the UFC. These fighters have pretty much the same fighting style. They both wrestle aggressively and try to get the ground-and-pound wins first. That, I think, will run the clock, since I think these fighters are too skilled to be finished by another wrestler. That's why I kind of like the over on the time. This will be a great fight if you don't mind watching grappling. We're getting a grappling-heavy co-main event before the striking dominant main event, and I give the slight edge to Demir Ismagulov, but I like this fight to go long regardless. That wraps up all of our fights but the main event. Let's take a look at our UFC Fight Night main event. We have a really good UFC fight night main event here in the middleweight division. Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland. Strickland's two inches taller. He's coming off of a first-round knockout loss to the current middleweight champ, Alex Pereira, which ended a six-fight winning streak. Strickland boasts an impressive 25-4 record. Although known for his extremely high-volume striking in this division, he will mix in the occasional takedown as well, and he'll be smart to do so in this fight. While Strickland will hold the cardio and volume striking advantages, Jared Cannonier undoubtedly will hold the knockout power. 10 of his 15 wins have been by knockout. Cannonier used to fight at heavyweight, then light heavyweight, now middleweight. He still carries that power around with him, even though he's lost some weight. 10 of those 15 wins, like I said, have been by knockout, with his last fight ending in a loss to the former middleweight champ, Israel Adesanya. These fighters are trying to win their way back into title contention. Typically, I would say that this is a fairly easy fight for Cannoneer because he holds the one-punch knockout power and he only needs to find that strike once, but he struggled a little bit with that unique striking of Adesanya in his last fight, and Strickland brings a strange punching cadence and odd angles with his strikes as well. Another big difference here is that Strickland really only punches. He doesn't throw a lot of kicks. It's a lot of boxing combos, which means Kananir won't have to worry too much about leg kicks quite as much. Uh, Don't get me wrong, Strickland will throw some, but they're more just like touching the leg. He's not throwing to really injure the leg that much. He is truly a volume striker. At the end of the day, I think we're actually looking at a fight that could go either way, like the odds suggest. But I do like this one to go long, likely over two and a half rounds. It's going to be tough. Cannoneer, I think, could find that knockout in any round one through five. But the... Volume striking of Strickland is going to put Strickland ahead every round in the striking totals. So it's going to come down to Cannoneer damage versus Sean Strickland volume and output. I think Strickland's a tough striking problem to solve. Alex Pereira is the hardest hitting middleweight I think we've maybe ever seen. Cannoneer holds a lot of power, but I'm not sure he has that much. So I think Sean Strickland will potentially get this win. That wraps up our UFC fight night, Cannoneer versus Strickland. Let's take a look at our bets. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. All right, we're starting off with the UFC prelim matchups. I'm just going to go ahead and say this up front, everybody. We have a lot of stuff where I'm looking at unique lines. Uh, roundovers, fights not go the distance, whatever it might be. Those are not available yet. So as you guys know, I like to do come Saturday morning. Once those lines are available, I will take them and I'll post on the podcast's social media pages what I was able to grab the number at. That way you are able to see what I got and you know that I am truly betting along with you. So there's a few that we're going to be skipping today, but just know it's because I'm just waiting to see what the line is. So, Sergey Moroz versus Journey Newsom. This is going to be a no bet for us. I am leaning Sergey Morozov. David Dvorak versus Manel Kape. I like Fight to Not Go the Distance, which is not yet available. Brian Battle versus Renat Reddinov. I took Brian Battle Moneyline plus 123 as an underdog. Rafa Garcia versus Mahashate. That's a no bet. I lean Rafa Garcia. Said Nurmagomedov versus Said Yokub Kakramanov. We went with Saeed Nurmagomedov, money line minus 118. Julian Marquez versus Jerron Wynn. This is a going back for more two unit bet. Julian Marquez, money line minus 175. Jake Matthews versus Matthew Semmelsberger. We went with Jake Matthews, money line minus 250. And Cheyenne Vlismos versus Corey McKenna. This is another no bet, but I am leaning Corey McKenna. For the main card, Cody Brundage versus Michael Oleg With Cody Brundage, Moneyline plus 220 is a big underdog. If we can hit that, that would be fantastic. Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. I'm going to either take Drew Dober, Moneyline, or over one and a half rounds. Over one and a half rounds is not available yet. I want to see what that number is just to see which will be more enticing. Alex Caceres versus Julian Arosa. Julian Arosa, Moneyline minus 165. Amir Albazi versus Alejandro Costa. We're going to take Amir Albazi by finish, which is not yet available. Armin Sarukian versus Demir Ismogulov. I like either over one and a half rounds or fight to go the distance. I need to see them both. Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland, over two and a half rounds. I like in that one. I think it goes long. Cannonier is kind of a patient fighter, so I just like over two and a half rounds. I want to see what that looks like. So again, there's a lot of lines here we need to still take a look at because they're not yet available. They will be by Saturday, so check the social media pages of the podcast. The home style perfect plate parlay. We're going Julian Marquez money line, Amir Abazi money line, and Sarukyan versus Ismagulov over one and a half rounds. So with that over one and a half rounds not available yet, I don't have that number for the parlay. But we hit it last week. We're going to try to do it again this upcoming Saturday. Let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. I'll be posting my verdict scorecard predictions and alternate line bets prior to the events on social media for the podcast. Please go follow at the Homestyle MMA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at Homestyle MMA Pod on Twitter. Check out the Homestyle MMA Podcast dot com for additional information about the podcast. I'll continue to grow content on social media as we get further into this podcasting journey. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, and review. Next week, we'll do a rapid recap from this card and talk a little bit about our end-of-year recap, probably a little bit shorter of an episode next week. Till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestown MMA podcast. Y'all have a good one.